0: Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer, and I have with me today Rena Van Elst from Strata Central. How are you doing there, Rena?
1: Good, Amanda. How are you going?
0: I'm going well. I have had a fabulous couple of weeks in Strata since I last chatted to you. How about you?
1: Yeah, always busy. Strata never stops.
0: Got any <laughs> holidays planned? I know you're not good at taking holidays, Rena,
1: but yeah, you need well, to. I was good at taking holidays before, but um, we're actually going to Adelaide for a couple of days at the um, end of July. My husband's got a conference or a seminar that he has to go to. So yeah, I thought I'd just take along.
0: Excellent. Nice one. Going to do a Barossa trip?
1: Not sure yet. Um, we're going to be there for four days. So we probably will, we've already hired a car, so probably we'll go out to Barossa for a day on the weekend, I think.
0: Yeah. What about you? Any plans? No plans. I am still enjoying my new location that is mudgy and exploring. It still feels like I'm on holidays here, getting <laughs> yeah, sure. some new digs. Yes. <laughs> If anybody hasn't heard the news, I am splitting my time between Sydney and Mudgy at the moment and very much enjoying it, I can say. Now let's talk Strata, our wins and challenges over the last week or so. Rena Van Els, what has been challenging you this week?
1: Well, this has been an interesting one because with bylaws that have been registered for a scheme that we took carriage of the end of last year, Amanda, when we went through all the bylaws and, you know, the community said to me, here are the bylaws and you've got to make sure that owners, when they're doing renovations that they comply with the various conditions that are noted in the works bylaw. I noted that a number of owners had passed special bylaws for their own renovations and they had referred to plans, but none of the plans have been registered at all. So all Mm. the plans are missing. So what I'll have to do now, there's two more bylaws that have to be registered coming up for two more renovations and what I'll be doing is um, just inserting all the, I'll have to locate the minutes of the meetings where those bylaws were passed, get the plans and then, put those plans into the consolidation when it's completed because otherwise those plans are referred to and not included. So I think it makes it difficult for people that are doing searches or if an owner was to buy that apartment, if they were selling it, there's no plans referred to at all in the bylaws that were passed for their renovation works. And I just don't know how that would happen. I mean, Mm. even I know previously, sometimes agents were doing their own consolidations. I don't know if that's still happening today, but I would assume that would be the only reason that that would have happened because I don't think any lawyer would have looked at the bylaw and seen that there were plans (laughs) referred to and I would have assumed they would ask the agent, well, where are the plans before we Mm. finalise the consolidation?
0: Yes, it is something that I see happen often and I don't know that we should let lawyers (laughs) off the hook so lightly uh, when we are putting consolidations together and we're given what we're told are the bylaws for the building and a bylaw refers to annexed plans, it's important always to ask that plan if it's not already in the bundle. But yeah, I've definitely seen where plans, if not entire bylaws have gone missing in consolidations. We do have a podcast episode on that called The Case of the Missing Bylaw. If anyone wants to go back and check that out, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. My question for you, Rena, was going to be, uh, do you know for sure that the plans actually were part of the motion when it was considered at the general meeting and where the bylaw was made because if it wasn't then I query whether the plans have actually legally been adopted as part of the bylaw.
1: Well when I spoke to the, the two owners who are still living there and who submitted the bylaws at the time that they told me they did submit plans. So but that's a really good mm-hmm. question, Amanda. Did those plans actually become part of the, the agenda at the time or they just sent yeah that's a very good question. And I'll, I'll have to now mm-hmm. investigate that because I haven't thought about that. <laughs> it's always yeah. something else. It's just sometimes, as we know in strata, it's always another sort of thing that you never would have thought of, like you've just mentioned now, like were those plans, even though the, the owners told me the plans were submitted, were they submitted with the agenda when the bylaws mm. were presented for owners to consider? It's a very good question.
0: Mm, because our bylaws do expire if they are not registered within six months of the date they are resolved specially resolved at a general meeting and if the plans were never part of the agenda then the bylaw with plans has never actually been specially resolved and it is not just in my view and administrative error that the plans have fallen off the consolidation i think you probably can fix that administrative error by putting them back in when the next consolidation is getting registered but if the plans were never on the agenda with the bylaw at all i'd be suggesting that you put the bylaws forward again
1: yeah i think in this building i mean you know the owners are very savvy and i think they if the plan wasn't included because even now we're looking at two bylaws for other owners and Asking for plans, more plans, a changing of plans. So I think hopefully that Mm. did occur. But you're right, Amanda. We need to check whether or not because the the committee and the owners might have seen the bylaw, but they may not have seen it as part of the agenda pack. The two different things.
0: Yep. Thank you for sharing that challenge, Rena. My challenge for this week comes from a question from a member inside our members only Q and A forum. This question was about conducting a ballot for the election of Strata committee members. Now, in New South Wales, the maximum number of committee members we can have is nine. I understand that in Victoria, it might be 12. I think this member was from Victoria asking a question about the procedure there. But I said, I'd bring this to the podcast after I'd answered it in the forum, because I think it's an excellent general question to make sure our strata managers and our committee members are well across. How do you conduct a ballot for election of committee members when you have more nominations than there are positions? Now in New South Wales, we decide on the number of Positions there should be on our committee before we elect people to those positions. We might decide that we're going to have three committee members, we might decide that we're going to have nine. But if the nominations are more than the positions, then there must be a ballot to elect committee members and some are going to be elected and some are going to miss out. Rena, do you have a standard practice for when you're conducting a ballot? Do you hand out ballot papers? What's your process as a strata manager chairing meetings?
1: Yeah, so if we're in a physical meeting, Amanda, then we hand out voting papers and we basically advise the owners that they need to nominate the maximum number or less. So you actually don't have to nominate if the owners had decided to have nine members, for example, you could only complete five people's names if that's the only five people that you actually want to relate to. So you don't have to actually put nine names if there are nine positions. Now, just to preface, go back one step, I think there's a fundamental flaw sometimes in this whole process, Amanda, where managing agents don't put the procedure on the agenda in the correct order. So the first mm-hmm. thing is to take nominations close nominations, then set the number, not the other way around. A lot of people that when we've taken over schemes from other managers saying, oh, no, but we have to set the number first. It's like, no, nominations are taken first, then the number is set after that. And that's why you then know whether you need to conduct a ballot or not, because the nominees could be greater than the number that's been decided. What we try and do also when there's such a case that arises, we ask all the nominees, you know, is there anyone that's willing to withdraw their nomination? Because sometimes some people, you know, put their hand up, but really you know, they're, maybe their heart's not in it or you know, they say, okay, now I'll withdraw. So if that happens, then obviously we then are able not to proceed with, with a ballot. But if that doesn't occur, we then hand out voting papers to all our owners. If it's online, we have to do a poll online, um, which we've done a few times now. And then the way that the calculations are done is that we get each paper, we put the names, and then we just obviously record the number of votes per owner. And then if there was five members to be elected, the top five numbers by number of votes are the ones that then become elected. So then we Mm. basically um, read out those names. We've had a situation where we've had a tie. So let's say there was five people and then the last two had the same number of votes. Mm. And then we have to then basically put that again to the vote. So we will say to people, you know, using an, either the same voting paper or a different voting paper or show of hands, depending on how people are feeling comfortable, whether or not they want to sort of show their hand in terms of who they're voting for, we then put those two people and, again, it's a show of hands as to who will be elected out of the two people. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite an arduous process in terms of if there's a lot of owners present, if it's a large scheme, you know, it can take up to half an hour, even if not longer, sometimes to work out all the calculations. Mm.
0: And there is helpfully, I think, a relatively clear process for this set out in our New South Wales legislation. It's in regulation 10 of our strata schemes management regulation. How do you conduct a ballot for strata committee election? I'm just reading through that now, Rena, and I am noticing. That that it does have a subsection in there that says if only one place remains to be filled but there are two or more eligible candidates with an equal number of votes the candidate to fill the place is decided by
1: a show of hands of those present and entitled to vote yeah so that yeah. is yeah we normally do ask for a show of hands but sometimes people may not want to show their hands So mm.
0: yeah now the member who was asking this question and having this discussion with me in the member forum had said that their strata manager had told them they needed to conduct a preferential voting system where they listed their most preferred candidates at the top of the list. Then the vote for those candidates was given greater weight. Now I had a look at the legislation. I also had a look at the Victorian legislation. Admittedly, it doesn't have the detail that our New South Wales legislation does, but I couldn't find anything anywhere that said a ballot for a committee election should be via a preferential voting system. Seems to be overcomplicating matters.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Amanda. I think sometimes there are owners that perhaps don't want to vote for certain people, and you you always know in a building when there's a committee ballot that I means there's obviously either friction or there's disharmony or there's you know, genders or there's people that you know want to sort of propagate people that perhaps um, adopt their own views. So the thing is that um you know you may not want to vote for everyone that's nominated so that's why we say to people you know if you don't want to nominate for everyone then you nominate for the people that you want so as long as it's less than the the number that's been nominated or decided to be the number of committee members then that's fine so if the positions there's nine members decided you can just put eight or five or three or whatever you want so but yeah this preferential thing doesn't really make any sense to me
0: no not to me have you ever had a poll called on a ballot for election of a committee
1: Yes, I imagine just, that becomes a little st- tricky. Just in April, actually, <laughs> the um, poll was not called on the committee members. It was actually called on, on the number. So originally, ah. the number was set, and then um, there were nine nominations, and there were seven that was decided. Mm-hmm. And so we did. A, we didn't do a show of hands. We had to, you know, there was a large scheme. We had to basically do ballot papers, and we did all the calculations. And then someone, when we read out the result. Someone said, no, I'm calling for a poll. So then we had to redo everything again through poll, which didn't change anything. I even said to the person it won't change anything, but Mm. um, I just knew the numbers in terms of the number of proxies and I just knew how it was all going to pan out. But, um, yeah, so we then spent another nearly half an hour Um, going through that. Yes, and therein
0: lies the benefit, I suppose, of having electronic voting platforms where you can click a button, as I understand it, and immediately convert a show of hands voting or your standard form ballot voting into a poll simply by recognising each owner's unit
1: entitlement and get an instant result. But that's only possible if you're doing it by Zoom. But if you're doing a physical meeting, Amanda, it's a lot of people also don't, like in this particular demographic with a lot of older people that, you know, even found it hard to fill out a piece of paper, you know, Mm. know, sort of, you know, showing them how to circle and you got to sign and. Yeah.
0: I do know that some managers are using the electronic platform in the background of an in-person meeting. So they're actually inputting the votes into a system like a strata vote and then declaring the results quite straightforward, of course, if we're on a show of hands, but when a poll is called, then you've already got the data put into the system. You're on your laptop, you can hit a button and then convert those same votes to a poll result. So I can see more and more managers taking up that kind of software, which I think is great. Excellent. Rena. your win for this week,
1: please. Well, this is a really interesting win. I must say I, know I keep saying things like challenges are interesting, but this would have <laughs> to be the most interesting win that I, I would say we've I've come across, Amanda, in, in since we, you and I have been doing our podcasts. And what happened was about a year ago, a scheme, a new Simonis from another building, and they'd, you know, gone to another development and they said, Oh, you know, like you're a new strata manager, we're not happy with our manager. They came and saw me, gave them a proposal, had a meeting, etc. And then I said to them, "Oh, well, you, know, you have to look at your, your agency agreement because I knew it was a new scheme, and therefore I knew that it would be only be a twelve-month agreement." And they um, said to me, "I oh, know our agreement's two years," and I said, "Well, that can't be right. <laughs> so you can't have two years because at the first AGM they can
0: only appoint a manager for maximum twelve months in New South yes, Wales." Yes. Yep,
1: that's correct. Anyway, and so what happened was, unfortunately, they, they went to the strata managing agent and said, basically, we want to leave. And they said he said no, you've got a two-year agreement, and they said no. As I've, hmm. I read in the section of the act, section fifty, and I said no. You, the term at the first end, you know, I mean, can't exceed twelve months, and therefore, you know, the maximum term for an agent is three years after that. So, and of course, he wouldn't agree, and then they end up going to Ncat, and then oh wow, and then the um, agent wouldn't turn up, and it was <gasps> that the agent said, oh, he, you know, he didn't turn up, or he needed extra time, etc. And you yeah, know, as you know, Amanda, the tribunal is very accommodating and people. Mm. More time, even though they've been given plenty of time. And so, what happened was basically the agent did not turn up again and sent an email saying, oh, "I can be there at you know, like next week at some silly time." And and he understood that basically, that if an order was made today, that he would have to abide by it. But what had happened was that at the first AGM in Section 15 of the Act, it states that a motion needs to be included whether or not a managing agent is to be appointed and if they do want to appoint a managing agent, what will be the delegation they will give to their strata managing agent. Mm -hmm. Now that motion was not included on the agenda of the first AGM and what had happened was an EGM, which should have been a general meeting, but he convened a general meeting straight after and was appointed for two years. Now I told him at the time that is definitely not on because the the intention of the Act is to enforce that 12-month appointment at the beginning of the term of the Owners Corporation when they have had their first AGM. Anyway, what had happened was the actual evidence that he submitted was a different set of minutes to what was actually issued at the time of the first AGM. So the managing agents produced a different set of minutes to show that this had not occurred. And, um, Basically, the, the member obviously was quite sort of not happy. I mean, I wasn't at the hearing, but I got the feedback from the owners who obviously have been going through this whole process for a whole year. Anyway, the managing agent's agreement was then terminated by the tribunal,
0: wow. and that's
1: under Section 72. The tribunal has the power to terminate an agreement, and that's what what happened.
0: Goodness. So it was a fabricated set of minutes, seemingly? Yes. No yeah. one had ever and- seen them before.
1: Yeah, and even that the owners had had five witness statements as well that they had um, submitted as part of their application as well. So the thing is, which I find really disheartening as a fellow agent, is that it's one thing to you know try and circumvent the law by you know using a loophole, which of course is not really a loophole, but but then when you go to NK, you then fabricate the minutes. I mean, that's mm. just really, I'm, I'm just shocked. That's scary. Okay. Yeah. It's very scary. And really, that is like perverting the course of justice, really, when you think about it, Amanda mm. system.
0: I'm interested, Rina. I had made a note when you were speaking earlier to ask you what orders were sought by the Onus Corporation, and you've now said there were orders under Section 72 to terminate the agreement. I'm interested in the members' reasoning when coming to that decision to terminate, because if we have a look, as you've pointed us to section 50, which tells us when agency agreements expire, it does say that the term of the appointment expires at the end of the period of 12 months following the appointment, if the managing agent is appointed at the first annual general meeting. So from a legal perspective, that agreement had actually already expired, and I'm curious about whether the tribunal gave an order to terminate or made a finding or a declaration that the agreement actually had expired previously. Was
1: this building
0: waiting to engage you? And to- yes, yes. Yeah. So they
1: come just to- yeah, it was a year ago. It was a year. This is how long mm. it's taken. It's taken a year. Yeah. for this to um, happen because the original manager's agreement was actually dated October 2019. And so when, when I saw them in May, they knew they just had like, you know, I said in October this year you'll be able to terminate. I said three months before that termination, the managing agent should let you know that it's coming to an end and then that's when you have the time period to actually let them know that you're you know, seeking other proposals or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, and that's just how it all happened. So the orders are that. Under section 72 that the respondent returned to the applicant on or before a certain date, any documents or other records related to the scheme. So basically, on the day of the actual hearing, the agreement was terminated with immediate effect. So it was terminated as of that day. Mm, but he has the agent has till the night, oh, nearly two weeks to return the documents. Because obviously. And what about
0: fees? Is he entitled to any fees for that extra period?
1: Well, that was not part of the orders. And I don't know if that was actually. Um, part mm. of the application or not so that mm. that's a good good question Amanda because I and mean the
0: owners weren't legally represented in no, making this no, application they,
1: yeah no they did it themselves so okay. the other thing yeah. also that was that occurred was that like they were getting charged like bass fees when they didn't even have a bass because they didn't they weren't oh, raising so there were so many things that were happening in terms of fees and charges as well so it's actually a good point that you raise Amanda I don't, I don't think the I'm sure the applicants didn't know they probably couldn't ask for that as well.
0: Yes, because if the agreement had expired as of October 2020, for example, Mm. then anything that's happened since then, the agent has had no authority to draw down fees or deliver any services. And in my view, the owners' corporation shouldn't be paying for that. But if the tribunal has made a finding that the agreement is only terminated as of the date of the hearing, then unfortunately they may have lost that opportunity. Opportunity. I don't see many of these orders. That's why I'm particularly interested in these orders under Section 72.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the first time that I've seen this happen. And for the listeners out there, I mean, we all know that the, the reason that the Act had changed back in November 16 was that many buildings were bound by long agency agreements when developers, you know, had the majority voting rights at the beginning of the scheme. Therefore, you know, that was done now to give people a chance to have 12 months with the current agent and then if they want to continue on after that. And Mm. so for someone to try and circumvent that by holding a general meeting straight after and not including that motion on the agenda is really, to me, a blatant sort of disregard for um, the intentions of of the legislation. Not that the intentions. I mean, the legislation is is quite black and white in that respect, Amanda. And Mm. I was thinking also, I don't know how many other buildings this Australia Manager manages where... That's been done before, and they don't even know that they, you know, unless they go somewhere else and seek some advice, they probably don't know that they can't have been appointed for two years at the beginning. So, mm,
0: yep, that is true. Thank you so much for sharing that, Rena. I'm sure that's going to be helpful to a number of other listeners to at least be aware of this kind of issue. I'm going to wrap up with my win for this week. I have recently started working with a new client. This is a matter that I have inherited from another lawyer. And it is a case where my client is in a wheelchair and requires access to the common facilities, the gym and the pool, as well as access to her own level where her apartment is and does not at the moment have that access without her husband facilitating it for her because the building is not set up for use by persons with a disability. She has commenced action in the tribunal claiming that the owners corporation has a responsibility to install automatic doors among other things so that she can get in and out of the building and access the common property facilities. That application has been going for a little while and it has not yet got to the stage of a hearing, but that is coming up. The reason I'm bringing it to the table today as a win is because very recently, the Owners Corporation circulated a notice of general meeting with a motion on the agenda to raise money and do work that will see these automatic doors installed. Unfortunate that this has come after my client has had to commence tribunal proceedings and put a little bit of pressure on the owners' Corporation. I can tell you those proceedings weren't commenced lightly and there has been a lot of back and forth over the last couple of years about this issue, but Perhaps there will be a solution on the horizon if the majority of owners vote to approve this expenditure and these installations, which is a great win for my client We have discussed previously on the podcast, the range of cases in New South Wales, also in Queensland, we have a case in Victoria, where our tribunal and our courts have been finding that owners corporations are responsible to alter, to upgrade, to change the common property, to ensure that those needing disability access do have that in place so that if they are in wheelchairs or they require automatic doors, ramps, things like that, then owners' corporations are responsible for putting those in place. We have the Knox decision, KNOX in Queensland. We have a Black decision in Victoria. We have the Hulina decision some years ago in New South Wales. So I make no assessment as to whether those decisions may be right or Uh, helpful but it is interesting to see that owners corporations are cognizant of those and taking steps to facilitate that access for persons with a disability.
1: That's a great win Amanda. I think it's so important for people that aren't able to you know use the common facilities to be able to just have the doors opening. I mean I remember when I broke my leg back in August 2018 and It was really funny because even just being at the lights where, you know, I had a scooter thing that I was given so I could put one leg on and I could use the other leg to Mm -hmm. walk on and just being at the lights and, you know, when there was, you're trying to cross the road and you had to like lift up the walker and put it over the curb if there was no sort of um, ramp at at lights, even at home. And I mean, I I live in a three-story walk up and I'm trying to get up the stairs and Mm. using, I had to use my crutches, but then my husband would have to bring up the walker and, Just all those things until you actually, and you go shopping and you're trying to go into the bathroom and then you can't even open the door and you're trying to open the door and get your walker through and just things like that. I remember also years ago, I think you and I have had this discussion before, and one of the owners um, who's on a wheelchair, the lift doors were closing very quickly. And so he was trying to explain it to me and to the building manager, and I said, okay, well, let's try and have a look and see if we can change the timing so the doors would close a bit more slowly Mm. Anyway, and so he said, well, I've got a speed wheelchair. You get into the wheelchair and you try and do it. I thought, oh, my God. So I actually yes. did that. And yes. for the first time it really made me feel like, yeah, when the doors are closing on you and you're trying to get into a, a lift, it's really not comfortable and not right that, you know, everything takes so much longer and it's just so much harder for people. And until I think you're in that situation yourself, Amanda, I think mm. owners don't really understand. They just think about the expense and they don't really think about the amenity, and that, you know, one day that could be them. And with owners downsizing from, you know, larger homes and, and buying into strata schemes, you know, that's going to be more of an issue moving forward if buildings yep. don't start thinking properly and making some provisions in their budgets for future upgrades where needed.
0: Yep. So much so. Yes, I agree. And I do expect that we will see more of these cases in favour of those who are making these claims under both disability discrimination legislation and depending on what state you're in under your relevant strata legislation as well. In some states, the ACT is one. There is particular wording used in the legislation, which in my view, uh, puts more pressure on owners' corporations to actually ensure residents have access to common areas and to be able to get in and out of their own home. Yeah. So I will uh, continue to update you on that one as I can. And if we end up with a reported decision, I will let you know about it. I think that's it for this week. Arena. anything else to add? All good, Amanda. Thank you. All good. Enjoy your week in Strata. I'll catch you next time. See you next time.